Hi, Stephanie here. I am an entrepreneur, lobbyist, wife, mother, book lover, and political junkie. I think gender equality is still a work in progress in our homes, our workplaces, and our politics. And I love to learn, especially from other women. So I started Women Don't Do That, a podcast and blog to talk about issues women care about today and to inspire us to do whatever it is we think we can't do. Shreya Patel is a multifaceted actress, filmmaker, and mental health advocate. She's been recognized for her impact in entertainment, activism, and mental health advocacy. She's received a number of awards, Top 100 Most Powerful Women of Canada and Forbes 30 Under 30. Her work in film has been debuted at the Toronto and Munich Film Festivals. As a model, she has been featured in places like Vogue, and through her projects and advocacy work, she supports the underdog in making a positive impact on the world. Tune in for an inspiring conversation with Shreya Patel. Thank you so much for being here, Shreya. Happy, happy to be here. I want to kick things off by asking you, what does life look like for you right now? Life right now is a little little hectic because I do have a production company called Window Dreams Production where I am with my team writing a few shows and stuff, but there is also like a little bit of halt right now and everything since WGA is on strike, which is the Writer's Girl in America, which kind of affects us as well. So um, I initially in January started another business, which is an Oud business. It's with one of my close friends, Mistria. So we're, it's a completely different product-based business. So we're kind of right now in research and development and branding. So two companies in one go uh, is a little wild. <laughs> and then um, I travel a lot for work. So it's just been a little hectic trying to do some self-care. Yes, it's really challenging, especially when you're an entrepreneur, I find. Self-care was is always challenging for me, but since I've become an entrepreneur, it's it's definitely harder because your time is really worth money <laughs> and that right your outputs and your work determine what you get back from it and yet you know you'll do better if you take care of yourself but it's just it's really hard to do yeah like how like I know that you mentioned like as an entrepreneur like how do you self-care normally because like mm-hmm. for me it's yes because I'm an entrepreneur because I'm a woman because it's like we don't get that many chances to fail. Like we are not allowed to fail. Mm. Unfortunately, we we give ourselves the chance to fail, but it is really difficult in the market to fail because unlike uh, male counterparts, we don't have that kind of liberty. Mm-hmm. So we end up hustling a lot harder, I yeah. feel. And for me, like self-care usually comes through like doing nothing, <laughs> trying to sleep and meditating and, and waking up early and going to the gym and stuff. But how, how do you do it? It's always like an interesting thing to talk yes. about that with other female entrepreneurs. It is it is hard for me. Uh, probably I, I feel like my natural tendency is a hustler. And so it's like a mm-hmm. constant lifelong work, I think, for me. I have started sometime in the fall going to the gym and mm-hmm being pretty committed to carve that time out. And so that has felt a lot like self-care. I get to drive somewhere, be alone, listen to what I want, go to the gym, drive home. And all of that has been, uh, I've been surprised about how much I've really enjoyed that. 
And mm-hmm. I do try, I'm, I'm really would not be good at taking chunks of time, but I, I do try to take moments to slow down. There was, um, I had the opportunity this weekend to sit in our backyard uh, by a fire pit and just have some music and read. And it didn't last very long necessarily, but even just trying to do that is really hard for me. But when I do it, it feels so good. So I, I'm trying to build in some snippets and I literally put it on my weekend to-do list, relax. Because if it's not there, I will just check off the to-dos. That is that is so interesting to put that in your, I love that, to put that in your calendar. Mm-hmm. I used to put sleep in my calendar because yes, like- I'm not surprised. I'm like, this is the day I'm going to sleep. And sometimes because I've been working so long, it'll be like three weeks from now. And they're like, why is that in your sleep? I'm like, no, it was like a longer chunk. I get to sleep longer chunk. It's three weeks from now. You're like, it just I need a goal to get to, to know it's going to be okay. Yeah. And I'm like, and people like, I've been doing this for many years and people are like, you're, you're crazy. I'm like, you know what? Like, I guess. To each their own. The whole relaxing thing. I actually, I really like that because yes. I remember taking some time off and I was, I told myself do nothing and I would sit on my sofa and I'm like, oh, I, I'm itching to do something. Yes. And to to learn to be like, no, Shreya, why are you itching to do something? What are you trying to do? Why are we living in this like extremely productive mindset? Yes. It's it's a bullshit mindset, by the way, because if you go outside of North America, the hustle culture is not there. People love to enjoy their lives and and look at the trees and breathe. <laughs> it, it's, like, it's a very awareness kind of a thing, which we don't have that here. So mm-hmm. Yeah, doing nothing. I like force myself to do nothing. It was hard. <laughs> yes, it's very hard. Uh, when we talk about the relax piece, I want to add this as a mom, because I am kind of an intense person, right? Uh, just like I like to do a lot. I output a lot. So I even have started like my girls and I will usually sit down for the weekend to be like, hey, what do we want to do? And I've started to also put on their to-do list, play and relax. Because wow. I know that I am teaching them some not great habits. <laughs> with my maybe workaholism and so I'm trying to do better by by teaching them how to care about that better even though I'm struggling through that myself I I want them to at least try to have a bit of a better balance than I yeah. do that's, that's a really good awareness to have that you you yourself have and are implementing on your on your daughters as well I think that's that's the key to be honest because now they're seeing that in their schedule and like whatever right like they're learning from that that mm-hmm. that they can make their own decisions later on instead of just like learning from you and then having the same thing passed down on so mm-hmm. awareness I'm trying <laughs> you're a great mom you know that oh thank you so our next question that we always like to ask folks when they join us is what motivates you to live your best life I think for me I I've always known that fulfillment and purpose is important. And I knew what I wanted to do since I was six. Like I had a very, like clarity was there since I was six. So for me, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it. I don't know how it's going to happen. And then that's how I, I did it. And and to follow up with that, like I, I met this woman when I was 15, 16 years old, um, coming back from high school, right after like dance. And I met her at um, the bus station. She was like in her like late seventies, eighties, like 
big fur pink fur coat and I was like oh interesting and I was like what a what a woman but she came up to me and she's like oh my god you're so young you have a future in front of you and I was like why is this woman talking to me because you know you're a teenager you're like please don't talk to me I don't know all that jazz but she changed my life because she ended up telling me she's like you know when I was your age I wasted so much of my time partying and and doing all these other things that that shouldn't she shouldn't have and and she's like I just at this age I just regret not living at my full potential mm. and then she's like you're so young she's like live your day live the way you want to live like it's your last day today or if that doesn't help then be like think of it when you're 80 years old when you look back have you lived your life the way you want to live mm-hmm. and I don't know I was like why is this woman talking to me whatever I went home and I just had this like I don't know if it was healthy to be honest I, I do have to accept that I went crazy I was like I have to live my life the way I want it. Like, <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to do fashion. And like, I was like, it was like a madness because I loved fashion so much that I wanted it. Since I was, so nothing that came out of my way, I was like, more out of my way. Like I was put into university for something I didn't want to do initially. Not my right. parents' fault. I wanted to get out of the house. It was me. But I was like, I don't want to do this. But I'm going to go to do this. Like, I was so, so focused. So I learned how to take risks from that time onwards. Mm-hmm. So my life has been full of risks all throughout so that's what motivates me just taking risk and remembering that if today if I had to unfortunately pass away because I love life but I have lived the way I wanted to live so Mm. those two things taking risk and living the way that I want to live is is what motivates me I love that so much and it it makes me think about my girlfriends and I when we look back at university we were a very uh like scholastically focused university house and all studied very hard um I think at least half of us have master's degrees and there were times as we got older where we look back and sometimes think maybe we should have partied more like maybe maybe you know and then at the same time I think well you know maybe where I'm at now I wouldn't have got there the same way or or got there and and the other piece about you looking back at your life I often think about that you know the end of your life or advice we hear from other people about that time and I do think it is really important right what what do you want your life to look like and a big Mm -hmm. thing for me is about it's about people right like it's not going to be about the car you had or the house you had it's going to be about the people that are there with you in your final moments, the people that you've invested in, the mark that you've made on other people. And so like investing in people is the best investment you can ever make. I love that so much. You have no idea because like I said, I became like, there was like a madness thing for me. Like I was like, I want to get here. I don't care. And, And like, I didn't know what was in front of me. I was just so blinded by ambition. I was just, it was a little crazy but I think I took her advice too literally and I was like (laughs) I have to get there and I think by the time I was in my early 20s I was like oh my god like what about the people like the people in my Mm -hmm. life and I think I realized it quite early and I'm lucky that I was like in my early 20s where I was like oh no people matter and and you're so right because none of this matters none of your success none of where you reach matters if you don't have the people that you share with or the people that just just people your your community your because of them is where you are today to be honest you cannot make it 
where you want to make it by yourself. It is just not possible. People, humans are are social beings. Like we need other other people and we have to value other people. We have to invest in other people. We have to foster those relationships in order to like just have a quality of life. Mm-hmm. So I do agree with that. I I think I learned that quite early and and now I know how to like balance that out. Mm-hmm. And I think I understand what that woman was saying much like much later better now versus mm-hmm. like she wasn't talking about ambition to be honest. She wasn't talking about the best job you can get or something like that. She was just talking about like being like like having a purpose and having a fulfillment, not the job. And for me at the time it was about the career and the job. Right. Well, Sharia, I'm not uh, surprised by your answer because as I was doing research about you, I was like, okay, she's done like modeling and she's been a a dancer and she's done film and she's done all these like amazing things. And so can you talk a little bit about some of the stepping stones and how you got to what you're doing now with your production company and you're starting this other business. What does some of that path look like? You've talked a little bit about some of the very beginning already. Well, that's funny. I've had phases and I have, I had in those phases, I've mastered those things and then kind of moved on. So, Mm -hmm. um, I knew I wanted to be in fashion since I was six. I was really focused. I did that. I, I, people were like, you achieved everything very young in your life. And I think that's a lie because I wanted it since I was six. Right. So if I'm, if I don't achieve something in my early twenties, what am I doing with my life? Like, that's crazy. Like I was only focused with that since I was six. Right. So when they say early in your life, it wasn't early. I've been, I've been prepping for that mentally and also working since I was six years old so mm-hmm. I dropped out of university I was in retail management and I was like I don't want to do this I want to be in fashion like I literally want to make clothes or like model or whatever and my parents were like all right you go to India so I ended up going to India for the first time in like so many years I took a train by myself from my city that they sent me to and went to Mumbai not knowing one person <laughs> and I five hours of being there and mind you I'm in like I'm a teenager I got there and it's my first time I can't speak the language at the time people know I'm definitely not from there like I, I'm Indian but like they know that I don't live there and then first five hours of being there I, I ended up meeting someone from fashion industry my parents like you're definitely getting traffic because people <laughs> go, to, go to Mumbai it's like LA and you know the city of dreams and there is like double the pop triple the population of like canada yeah and and out of everyone that go for this particular dream that you have you met someone in fire there is no you are getting traffic for my parents are freaking out they call the ceo unilever which is like who takes care of like fashion there he's like what are you doing with my daughter it was the funniest thing it was so funny but anyways my first job was to work with uh, Christopher Kane from London he was showcasing his collection in India and he was like live vlogging for Anna Ventura from Vogue India it was wild that was my first job and then I thought that was it but then because I did a great job there I ended up getting more work so I ended up working at the Miss India pageant, they were doing like a whole reality show stuff. And then from there, I ended up working with Vogue India. From Vogue India, I quit that to go to Dubai Fashion Week. And then I got a, I got a really high paying job uh, in Dubai as a fashion director for Dubai Fashion Week. And I, I declined it. And my parents were like, what is it? Okay, we, we are like freaking out right now. You have been gone all year. I don't even know how you got to where you are. 
And now you got a massive job and they're giving you a house and giving you a massive pay and you're so young. Like, why are you not taking it up? I'm like, because I'm so young. I'm going to go do something else now. And they're like, you're wild. Um, ended up working in the fashion industry. So the first, when I came back to India, the first few not months, like I'm talking about like more than half a year, all my luck ran out. So then it was like a full downgrade from there, like trying to audition, trying to do this. I'm like, okay, what do I want to do? Because I was working there, not modeling, working. And so I think end of the next year, I ended up modeling. And then a year later, not a year, actually a few years later, it started picking up. And then I decided to leave at the peak of my career because I felt like I've achieved everything that I wanted to since I was six. And it was repetitive though I love it I'm actually walking a show in July again like I'm, I'm still modeling but I'm very less but during that time I was traveling I traveled to like all over uh, Asia and then I was in New York for a bit and Toronto and then from there when I came back I got into documentary filmmaking I went to do my postgrad without my undergrad so that's actually a crazy story too I was also a humanitarian when I was in India and before that because I started volunteering since I was 11 years old because my mom is also humanitarian. And so when I was in India, I was like, okay, I'm gonna volunteer my time and I'm off duty. So I was doing that for a really long time. And I, I witnessed a lot of disparities between like developed countries and non-developed countries. And it mm -hmm. kind of pushed me to tell more stories. So I applied for a postgrad and I did not get in because I didn't have an undergrad. And I messaged my coordinator, like the main coordinator, I was like, listen, I understand if I was an engineer or a doctor uh, or like a lawyer, I need an undergrad, but I'm an artist and I don't have an undergrad, but I have vast amount of experience where I can speak from because I think art is subjective and I can tell stories and I know I can. And so she fast tracked my application and I graduated that with like high honors. So my transcript looks really weird. It's like, <laughs> like first year, like drop out. And then it says like postgrad, like high honors. I'm like, it's possible. It is possible. I took a chance on myself again, Ritz, made my first documentary. And during the time when I was studying is when I got into dance. I used to dance when I was younger too. I, I had, a, I danced in university. I, when I went back and then I had a crew right out, outside of university. So I was dancing throughout that time. And then we were we were like doing events and stuff, dancing around in the city where we were getting paid to do it too because our crew was like a Bollywood crew, which is cool. We, we, we have competed in like many um, competitions in the States as well, which was really cool. Amazing. But this was doing school and also when I was working a corporate job, my corporate job is like, what are you doing? I'm like, I have a dance practice. And they're like, are you an adult? I'm like, I am an adult, but I have a dance practice because I'm, I'm doing competition. So don't judge me. Like, <laughs> I got into, so I made my documentary. Took two years to release it because no one wanted to release it. Who is going to trust a fashion girl? I shot, edited everything by myself. It was about domestic human trafficking when it was not recognized by the government. Mm -hmm. I took up a nine to five job, which is when I was dancing and also going to circus school and stuff. So I told myself every day that I'm working for someone else. So what am I going to work for myself or make myself a better person, which is why I had dance and, and circuit school where I was like training myself and doing all those things, doing my, my little job on the side. And then I self-released the documentary mm. and then it, it helped pass a bill or whatever. And then later on, I extended the documentary and that documentary in 2019 did its own thing. Like TIFF found reviews about it and it became like an educational piece around the nation 
I don't know. I wasn't expecting any of this. When I, when I made it, I just wanted it to be an educational piece, but I think it served its purpose. And since then, because it was a dark topic and it was hard to deal with it by myself, I got into comedy. And so I went into the conservatory, I went back to school, got into the Second City Conservatory, which I can't still believe I got in because it's so hard. And I just went and did that 45 minute audition just for fun. And I was like, oh, damn, like this is such a big opportunity. I was scared half the time because everyone else was so much more advanced. But I learned a lot. So got into comedy during that time, continued doing the comedy, had a crew where we were performing for many years. And then that's when I started a production company because I felt like with my document, I made a few documentaries. I made a, I directed a music video, which, which was like a big hit. And then I, I was doing my comedy and my acting and stuff. And then I was like, how do I bag the funding? Because as an actor, I'm giving my power away to someone else to tell them, to tell me that I have work and I don't want that. So with all my documentary experience with the few documentaries and the music video and all that stuff I did, I was like, no, I'm going to start my production company. Mm-hmm. And now I have a team, like it's a very small team, but I do have a co-CEO who I met at the Second City Conservatory years ago. And we wrote a show together. We're still writing the show together. And I was like, we work so well together. Like, let's do this together. So we incorporated the company. We we have been funded for three comedy shows, which also talks about mental health issues because everything I do needs to be impact-driven. Right. So I'm merging my comedy and my um documentary because you're making a mockumentary right now um (laughs) into into one and and that's how this production company started and with with business again i'll be quick with that that's still new um with production company what happens is yes we got funding yes we're in power yes we're able to hire other people but at the end of the day you're still kind of giving your power away to networks for them to green light your shows so I don't like that. Like I love creativity and I love my art and I want to be more in control of it. So, mm-hmm. which is why I started a product means business, which we are still in the research and development for. Mm-hmm. That's so, yeah, that's so exciting. I feel like there's just so many different pieces to your story, right? And how it's amazing how like modeling and traveling and all these different things kind of fit into what you're doing now and you're, and you're just getting started right? Like there's so much more uh, left to come, which is really exciting. When you were speaking about your travel and developed and developing countries, you're making me think about, I think a really good piece of advice for parents listening is if you can afford it or maybe find some not-for-profit ways to get it done to have your kids travel or to travel yourself uh, globally um, is such a valuable skill set for them you know, as students, as people, uh, I know that you are really passionate about, you know, the underdog or the voiceless, and I am too. And I do think some of that myself is from traveling to places like Vietnam and some of the things that I saw there. And uh, we just get stuck in our our little day-to-day lives, right? Like in somewhere like Canada, you know, we have our issues, but it's a very prosperous country. And in my day-to-day life, I cannot even really see people living in poverty if I don't even step out of my bubble. Um, and then beyond that to learn about the world, right? And there is so much out there. It's so true what you said, because I think that's why I got into storytelling. 
what you just said because I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I knew I wanted to step out of fashion because I was like, how there was no growth for me because I hit hit everything. Like, but what you said, like looking out to the other side of the world and like outside of your bubble and socioeconomic backgrounds, you see things. Like you're so privileged. Like we don't realize how privileged we are, and 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 people are complaining about about things. And they, and yes, they do affect people. We are in first world countries. Certain things do affect us because we are in a prosperous state. So yeah, we we can complain about certain things. But when we look at other people in like developing countries who don't even have, I know this. Everyone says so. Oh, don't you have water to drink? But I have. I know people who don't have water to drink. Yeah. I personally know people. Who don't have water to drink. I personally know someone in Kenya. I'm getting goosebumps because I, I was making my second documentary, Unity. It was about collecting six. I collected with a team 66 countries to showcase what COVID looks like in their countries. Mm-hmm. But it was called Unity Love Spreads Faster Than a Virus because I wanted to showcase no matter where you are in the world, what language you speak, you're still human. We all are going through it together. Mm-hmm. But I, it, it was a lie for me because when I got videos from places like Kenya, I know him really well. This man could not even afford to step like to for to clean water. Like he had to walk so far away. And there's videos of this. He sent it to me. It's in my documentary where he's digging up holes with these young kids. And he has to do that once a week and fill out clean water for once a week. And yeah. he's like, I can't even afford to stay inside and quarantine. It's so hot that no one cares. We, we will die anyway with this heat. Yeah. It's wow. so scary. And I'm like, oh my God, I was shaking for three days. I couldn't even work on my documentary. I'm like, what unity? What unity are you talking about? The world, everyone, we think, oh, you're in Armenia, you're reading, I'm reading too. Oh yeah, in Spain, you're reading, I, I'm, I'm cooking, you're cooking too. Wow, so cool, COVID. But like in places like Gaza, there was a war. I did get a video from, from that time. Venezuela, they were getting $4 a month to survive. And then Kenya was, the, the videos I was, I was so shocked. So to to have that world view as a child or even as an, a young adult, I think will change the way they lead their life in the future. It is very impactful. And I, I do agree with you. If, if parents can afford it, they should themselves <laughs> and their kids should go experience it. It is mm-hmm. life changing. And there are ways out there, like especially in countries like Canada, um, where there's either organizations or um like some school transfers and stuff like that where you might be able to find it uh even if you are low income when I was in university I worked with uh an NGO where they gave you half the funding and then you had Mm -hmm. to raise the other half so I had to go to business people and my mayor and Carleton University and ask them to sponsor me and my family wouldn't have been able to afford to do that, the work that I did, uh, but I was able to do it through that NGO. And so if you're scrappy enough and do the work, there will be some opportunities, hopefully that exist there uh, so that you can have those kinds of experiences mm-hmm. too. And you don't know maybe until you look back later in your life, how impactful they were or the change that they made uh, for you so I do think that that is really important yeah I agree some it's of the very other, impactful yes some of the other things I know that you are passionate about and that have impacted your work are uh, your 
commitment that you want to help newcomers and also Mm -hmm. bullying. Can you speak to that? Yeah, for me, like as a young child, when I like immigrated to Canada from Doha, it was really difficult. I mean, I was taken to Sarnia, which is where my family still is. And no one looks like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, not now, but when I was younger, no one looked like me. No one spoke like me. I was a kid who speaks multiple languages. I'm qu- quite proud of it now. But during that time, everyone just spoke one language. It was English. And it, you're the weird child. You look different. You speak different. You're from Doha. So it was a little, it was very, very difficult. And I used to go home and pray like, oh my God, I wish I can have friends. Like it was just a really tough time. I used to sit behind the school wall and like write in my diary. One thing that was interesting, however, though, that I never, all of that bullying, severe bullying and all that, it never affected how I felt about my dreams, which was, which is really interesting, which I'm, 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 I'm really processing those things now because everyone's like, how are you like a child? And you were just like, no, I'm going to do this. But all of that aside, I just never affected how I feel about myself or like my mm-hmm. dreams, which is really, really interesting. But it, I think that as an adult, it affects you because you're, because I'm a very hyper individual and I'm trying to change that now. Uh, but I think it comes from those, those times, but for, for helping bullying newcomer, like newcomers and bullying, it's because of that experience that I've had as mm-hmm. a child who immigrated here really early. It was really hard for me to integrate myself, especially also my parents. They were also trying their best. I, as a child, was also trying my best. So for me, raising awareness about bullying, um, kids can be like terrorists sometimes. You know, they don't know what they're doing, and they it's come maybe comes from like innocence, but it's also like they don't know how it can affect someone for their life. Mm. Uh, only as a young adult, I was able to recognize certain patterns or like certain ways I react because of I of what happened to me as a child in school school was hard right so I really want to work with newcomers and like and talk about like it's okay like you're gonna be fine like this country is is full of opportunities and sometimes it's hard to see that but Mm -hmm. opening that space up for people to talk about it is very important for me because I didn't have that space Mm -hmm. actually in fact me and my friend Rabia we got funded um to do like a BIPOC like marginalized um improv like teenage improv workshops so we're getting like girls like very young girls to come in and and do improv with us which has helped us be like let go of like inhibitions let go of like like all those you know bullying and all these things and like just have fun and we have like four uh, that's coming up at the end of may and early june uh we wanted to do something like that oh that's so fun how old were you when you came to canada 11 11 okay and for those listening Sarnia is in Ontario Canada because we yeah. we do have a lot of American listeners they're probably like where is that um, that's true I felt that too it's actually the border <laughs> if you in Canada 10 minutes away from Port Huron border Michigan there you go one of the things I wanted to pause on something you said about you being an, a hyper adult individual individual and and wanting to work on that why it's just so unhealthy okay I think that it's it's good to be aware of these things Uh I think that you know I it was really difficult for me to ask for help initially now Mm -hmm. I'm like I should ask for help why not we are human beings we're just trying to figure our life out really and we are all social beings which is all of us are aware of those things I have just learned in the last few years that like okay I'm gonna ask for help if I need help I'm gonna ask for it and 
I have I have been told um, in many different uh, different relationship work relationship like even partners and stuff where it's like why are you so like okay we understand you're a strong independent woman like we're not trying to like you know take that away from you and but why are you just so like you know doing that you know and I'm like okay you want to help me okay interesting but what do you want out of it like and I think that comes from me being not having friends when I was younger and and mm. and just being by myself like and also throughout just like you Stephanie like me in university first year I was not partying that frosh week I was like the president of my union like a student's union or whatever like a um like a residence so first first frosh week I was like yeah let's party and then I was like you go party I'm gonna be studying because I'm not only just doing retail management I'm trying to make connections with Jeannie Becker I need yeah. to meet her <laughs> I'm pretty sure I met her. I made sure I got her email because I've been following her since I was 11. So I was like, I'm going to make sure. And they're like, how are we going to do it? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to do it. And I did it. Because mm-hmm. I was like, so focused. Like, you don't party. I don't know what a frat party is. I've never been to one. Yeah. I don't know what people are doing. Like, we don't have that frat party culture in Canada the same, right? Like, it's so interesting with social media now when I see some of this stuff on social media about it. About brats and stuff I'm like what like it's it's so different and uh yeah like obviously there is partying but they're also in Canada there's like a really big focus on education and even about I think uh with international rankings we're the most educated population in the world and with the most amount of people even with additional degrees than their undergrads I'm pretty sure that that's accurate um so maybe that's why (laughs) Like, yeah. Uh, I was studying, but um, yeah. Do I, I was curious. Now? Yeah. Pardon. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was. Do you curious. feel like you're? Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, you go. No. Do you feel like you're also like in that mindset of like hyper individual? Like. Yes. Like- this is why I'm asking you, because I am quite certain that I have undiagnosed ADHD, and I am going to be tested for that. And I do have a child with ADHD, um, and. Sometimes I feel like hyper little Stephanie that was too much for everybody has mm-hmm. been uh, made smaller throughout her life to fit other people's expectations about being too much, too big, too hyper, too loud, talks too much, all these things, right? And so you learn to manage those things to be acceptable to society. And yet, Sometimes now as an adult, I'm older, I'm almost 40. And I look at myself and think, I feel like a piece sometimes is missing or has been like suppressed. And, you know, I feel like when I was younger, I would be like crazy singing and dancing all over the kitchen and, you know, doing that with my kids. And I don't really do that. And so sometimes I think, you know, what happened to that? Is that part of just growing and changing as you age? Was it society pushing down on me? And like now as I have my own business, uh, I have a podcast, I do a little bit of content creation. I feel like those are the pieces of me that I need to bring back to life. And yet it seems like they're partially gone. And so when I ask you about it, I partially ask you in with the concern that I don't want you to lose your fire because that's also part of what makes you you. Yeah, that, yeah, I was listening to you and I was like really feeling it. Right, it's like the balance because 
I, I will have to say in my first professional job, like done university, full-time working, I worked for some amazing women who uh, really mentored me well. And I, I was a lot to handle uh, in terms of just like a lot of talent, wanting to get results, like lots of energy. And when I, ha- I remember having a performance review and my boss saying to me, you are so good at what you do. Like, I don't have any feedback on like what you need to improve. So let's focus on some other things. Like when you're presenting, don't say um too much. Or sometimes I pronounce words incorrectly. I I was raised in a rural setting. And so they really coached me on some of those other things. And then later on in life, I was applying for a director job and I was researching, you know, what are some of the questions that you might get asked? And one of them was, what would a colleague say about you? And so I asked a colleague and the things that she said I was good or strong at were the things that at the beginning of my career were weaknesses that those women had coached me on. Isn't that fascinating? So then there's also this other transformation that has happened that, you know, elevates you and allows you to, I guess, be seen as what a leader would be, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't know how those things work together, but it's just something I think about sometimes as I grow in my career and how I've changed and why I've changed. And yeah, it's, I'm still thinking about it, but you, you, you uh, hit on something when you said that. No, you did right now to me too. (laughs) I think we're, I think even when we first met, like we we connected right away because yes. we had like so much similarities in like how we lead our life and what we are passionate about and the purpose like that we're leading towards that what you just said like it, it hit me um because what you're seeing is right it's also like who we are as people and and we know that i was researching this years ago um, not years ago like 2019 actually like like the amount of people that are high performing mm-hmm. in the world it is very small percentage. Mm-hmm. It is very small. And it's not because of like, it's no, nothing to put anybody down. It's just how we function. Like some people are logical. I'm very creative. Some people are analytical. Like it's, it's just, we, we work differently. And I know someone who loves working with numbers and spreadsheets. Like I genuinely know someone, I can't do that. I am mm-hmm. more of a creative person. Like, how do you do this? And I think all of those things make us like very different, but the high performing people, they're very, very less. And to be around a high-performing individual is it can be hard. Mm-hmm. I think also that's why I have become hyper-individual in in a sense because and only now I'm, I have I have been finding people that are similar to me mm-hmm. um, because it's growing growing up. They're like, why are you always so busy? Why are you always like this? You're you're so young. Get out of your house. And like I'm like, no, but I love what I'm doing. I want to do 20 things and I'm doing 20 things. Like, how, when do you have time? I'm like, I don't know. I, I schedule sleep four months from now. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of funny. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but they're only in, I don't know how long ago, like not, not too far, not too long ago. Did I realize I caught myself realizing that sleeping eating and going to the bathroom were things that I viewed as complete waste of time. Complete waste of time. And then, you know, you hear all this research coming out about good sleep and stuff like that. And then I was like, okay, yeah, this, this is all what makes like your body work healthily and like you be able to continue to be a high performer. And I wanted to say too, you, you probably don't know this about me. 
Uh, but one of the challenges that I've had in the last couple of years is that I got really sick and had been diagnosed with chronic migraines. And thank goodness to my doctor, because one of the things she did basically immediately was send me to therapy because I was always so high energy, high outputs that uh, when I was, di by the time I got diagnosed, they didn't know what was wrong with me. So it was months and months of like tests, very stressful. Um, I was um, having a migraine every single day, like very chronic. Um, and now I, I take multiple medications. I have a uh, Botox in my skull and like down my neck and shoulders every three months to help with it. It's something I'm constantly managing, but it has slowed me down a bit. And mm. I have struggled to accept that slowdown because it's just not naturally who I am. And like accepting that I don't have the same capacity I used to is something I've really had to work through. How do I'm, you work through that? Like, how do you deal therapy. with that? <laughs> partially therapy, um, yeah. partially therapy, learning to give yourself grace, right? Like, and I try to give myself a, like, not a lot, but a little bit of leeway uh, throughout my day so that, or my week, so that if there is a day where I do have a terrible migraine, um, that I, I have some space to still get my work done around it. 50% mm -hmm. of people that have what I have don't work at all. So it's, it is really challenging. Take your medication. If you know what your triggers are, try and figure them out. Like heat is one for me. So if I'm going to go for like a longer bike ride or do something like that, like I would do that in the morning. Right. Um, but the other thing I did, and part of the reason I started my business was to have more control of my time because of that. So ever since I was diagnosed, uh, I've never fully gone back and worked for someone else. I started my own company. And that was an advice given to me by another migraine person. Wow. So I love it. And I yeah. genuinely feel like being an entrepreneur and all of that is what I was meant to do. But it also came from a need. You're so inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. No, genuinely speaking, because like I, I can relate to you and in, in, in like our stories are different, but they're not like in, mm -hmm. like stories on how what led us to entrepreneurship are different. But like what, how things started are not like you. It was a need for you. And you're like, I'm going to take control of this. And for me with Oud was also that like, I'm like, oh my God, like I'm an artist. I don't make that much money. The funding comes in and then I give it back. And like, I have to take that funding and have to take it for two years. And like, it's it's really hard to stretch that kind of money. And I'm like, I can't. And also my power is given away to networks. And I'm like, I, yes. can't, I can't do this. And I'm like, I'm just going to out of need and out of what I enjoy doing. I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. Well, I, I honestly, Shreya, like the fact that you started a production company, we need more women in the creative fields and like in production companies and, and doing what you're doing. I'm so excited. You've already done some really interesting stuff. I will definitely include in the show notes, um, some of your YouTube stuff and, and your website. Yeah. And, um, I, I watched that music video and, uh, some of the documentaries. So I hope that people will check out that work. I want to ask you. As we're talking about this and we've talked about, um, you know, serving the underdog and there's so many people that want to use their talents and passions to also make a difference, but feel very maybe overwhelmed or unsure of where to start. What advice would you give to them? 
see, for me, I, I don't think like people think that you have to do something really big in order to help someone. And that's not the case. Like I just come from a different background. I, my life is making impact production. My life is this working as a humanitarian and, and all these things. It's just who I am. But anyone who's listening, who has like a nine to five job or, or, you know, has like a family and all of these things where they don't have time to do all these crazy things. You don't have to do any of those. It, it starts from home. It could just be as small as being aware on how you treat your children. It could be something as just aware of being, looking at your surroundings and being like, oh, I want to help this homeless person today by buying him food. Like it could be yeah. just as small as that because that kind of empathy in itself will lead you to places where you will be able to give back any way, shape or form that you could be. But honestly, I've heard this when I was younger from my mom, charity starts at home. Yeah. And then yes. she like cold clean the dishes, but then but but it had a bigger, <laughs> bigger purpose from that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it had a bigger like understanding from what she was saying. But but it, it you don't have to do something really big. You can also look at grassroots organizations that need volunteers mm-hmm. you can also look at if you're into like social responsibility corporate companies they can also look at like okay grassroots organizations where you know the money is used for doing yes, something yes. good like there are grassroots organization versus just giving it to red cross and UNICEF. i mean to each is their own and whatever but but i think that <laughs> there are tons of small grassroots that need your money to help other people and and if you don't have time to do little things you can you could do that as well I think oh that's great you're making me think about and I'm gonna plug it I wrote a blog recently that was about that exact thing about if you are a busy working person especially if you're a mom that there are small ways that you can still help other people and sometimes you're the person that needs help and that's okay too sometimes you're in a period of life where you should say no and you can't do it but there we're so busy in life that if you're able, you can do small things, like you said. And so for me, I often, I grew up in the country and it was a big thing where if somebody ever had a kid or they were sick, like you would make and bring food. I don't have a lot of time to make and bring other people food, but with double income, what I do have is some money. (laughs) And so I will send people gift cards or order them food or like do other Mm -hmm. things. So there are creative ways where you, where you can do stuff. So I love that you said that people can check out the blog on that. And I think the other thing that you made me think about with your mom is as a parent to talk about what you're doing with your kids, because let's say if I send somebody a gift card, my kids aren't necessarily going to know. And I don't tell them to be like, oh, look at what mommy did. But I tell them so that they know that those things are important. And because I want to give them that example, even though, you know, maybe we didn't make a pie together and then go take it to someone else. I, I want them to think about other people. And so I try to talk to them about doing those kinds of things. That's a very beautiful thing. My mom did exactly that. Mm-hmm. every single time when since I was very young because I've seen my mom help other people and that was just second nature to me she started putting me in volunteering mm-hmm. they go volunteer there I'm like no I don't want to you know you're young and you want to play outside she's like no you can play outside once you volunteer people need your help today, 
And I'm like, no, but it's just YMCA. And it's I started doing like volunteer work at YMCA and then later on did much more things. And my mom mm-hmm. still to this day, it'll be Thanksgiving and she'll call me or my brother if you're not home. And she'll be like, did you give cans away to Goodwill or like good like any of those places? <laughs> did you give cans? I'm like, mom, like we're going to do it. No, no. And she'll call you two, three times. Did you do it? Yes, mom. Yes. Like, yes. We don't have families. Remember? I'm like, yes, yes, we need. But yes. she has instilled that in us. And she, she will go mm-hmm. to churches and make food for the homeless. She just did that recently as well. And yes. she, she, that's just who she is. And she's like, whoever we are, we are always going to be more privileged. Even when we were immigrants and we were living in this like, apartment building she's like but we have more than other people we flew and migrated to Canada we definitely have more than other people mm, she would wow. just give us 25 cents and then we will put it in those blind dogs like and yes, yes. so she's so she would give us that she's like okay you can either buy a toy for 25 cents those, those little things yes. or you can um, go donate it to blind dogs Mm-hmm. And then she'll like look at us. I'm like, no, no, I'm gonna donate to blind dogs because like like that's what we were <laughs> was yeah. good for us. And yeah. she's like, when you learn to give back to the community, it'll always come back. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it's beautiful I, to see that. Yes, and there's so many different ways that you can do it in small ways, like you talked about in big ways. And I I think the other thing I want to remind people too is like, don't judge because you don't know how other people are helping. If I'm honest, I have never gone to uh, parent, uh, the parent council meetings, but oh, I yeah, yeah. do help other people in many different ways. Right. And mm-hmm. so uh, there's different things that you can do. And all that matters is that, you know, what you're, you've done and that you're, you're helping in, in some way in the capacity yeah. that you do have. Um, because I think we can get very uh, judgmental or like competition-y or, or they're doing this on social media. And so I love what you said about not everybody's life needs to look the way yours does or what mm-hmm. you've chosen. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's an important message. All right, let's close things off. What is the best rule you ever broke? Taking risks. I take so many risks. I don't even know what is life without a risk because people are like, how are you like this? I can't sit comfortable. Yes. I don't know what comfort is. I feel so boring. I, if, if my life gets mundane, it is mad boring to me. There is no growth. I mean, again, <laughs> don't listen to me, but like my life has always been about taking risks. So for mm-hmm. me and my environment, my conditioning, my way of living, um, discomfort is the best way of growing. So for me, as soon as something becomes mundane, I need something else to um, to learn and grow with. So I feel I'll definitely that. Do that. can you name another woman that inspires you my mother for sure because of who she is as a person and she's also an artist she's also a humanitarian I get my art and all of that from my mom and my her performing nature from my dad so it's like best of both worlds (laughs) so I'm very very grateful for that mix (laughs) that I have but definitely her but outside of my family I love Amal Clooney and Huma Abidin yeah that's her name I just love everything that they do She's, Huma is like in politics and her story is just like, she's been very focused in politics and and yes, this thing happened with her husband or whatever, but like, she's just been such a public servant for so long and such a powerful woman that I feel very inspired by her career trajectory, also hyper individual. So I'm like able to relate to those stories. I don't know. Yes. Subconscious, it was subconscious. And then same with Amal Clooney, like she is just, she, she's in the public eye, which is why I know about her as a lawyer, but right are helping like such massive cases of genocide and criminal justice and stuff I think that is just so cool and she has mm-hmm. style 
so yes she does is there a podcast you're loving right now oh I'm obsessed with Huberman lab I love everything to do with neuroscience so Did you say, can you say Huberman that again? lab Huberman lab okay his name is Andrew Huberman and I am literally obsessed with this man he's like a, a neuroscience from Stanford. well he, he's a Stanford neuroscience and professor but he's this research is outside of it and he talks about all these like big things you you Stephanie you might actually really enjoy it because he talks about ADHD and all these things scientifically and what you could do for it mm-hmm. with your brain because I love rewiring my brain and all these things uh-huh. so he talks about all those he talks about hypnosis he talks he recently the one that I just released today was about like mushrooms and all of that like it's all scientific and then the other one the other one was about mental health the other one was about high performance the other one so much all science related stuff yes that he brings to the public so I really <laughs> like it that sounds interesting tell us about a book that made you wiser there was this book called um enlightenment now by steven pinker he's a cognitive scientist canadian i'm not an academic reader by the way and this makes me sound really smart. it is not the saying, <laughs> but it was just that particular book <laughs> that was really interesting when it came out it was came out in 2018 and i told my friends to read it it's very data driven um it talks about how the world isn't the best possible place it could be but the media is showcasing something else and he has statistics to show that because mm. the News is showing, oh, 10% increase. I'm, I'm just saying this is not the, the truth, but it's like an example would be like 10% increase in gun shooting. He's like, oh, well, actually, it's 80, 90% people are safe. And also, those 90% people have resources to go report gun shootings. Hmm. So, why are we not talk, talking about awareness about reporting those things? And awareness that 90% of people are actually doing well. And he does it di- differently. So there's like chapters in science, on health, on technology, on like all these different climate, all these mm. different things. And you said he's Canadian? He's Canadian. Interesting. Yeah. And so he wrote this book um, in 2018. Of Obviously, things changed in 2020. <laughs> yes, he needs to rewrite it now. <laughs> yeah. It, actually, his new book called Rationality came out last year. He's he's a phenomenal person because even though that book might not be relevant right now, I just feel like it made me, because I have a very optimistic growth mindset. And I think that book, anyone who would read it would have an optimistic growth mindset about where the world is going versus it's doing. So I think mm. that was very important for me to get out of fascinating well thank you for sharing that I'm sure some of the listeners will want to check some of those out for sure thank you so much for your time you're so inspiring and I love hearing what you're up to and just I don't know I just feel like people can get so much out of your story and you're you have done so much and so many amazing things but you're also very relatable Stephanie you're too I mean since the time we met I was like this is great like you're, you've been amazing and thank you for sharing the story your story and having me on this podcast because it's it's been a pleasure uh thank you thank you thank you for listening to women don't do that i hope you feel inspired to do whatever it is you think you can't do make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode stay connected on twitter and instagram at women don't do that I would love to have you join the conversation, so make sure you join our next Instagram Live. Find all our podcast and blog content at womendontdothat.com. Join me next time.